0: But take your Bibles now and uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 will be our scripture reading. And tonight we're thinking about the creation of man, the creation of man. And so obviously we turn to Genesis 1, 26 to 28. These are the words of God. Then God said, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. My soul longs for Your salvation. Amen. Please be seated. I invite you to pray with me. God and Father, everything that You have made is a testament to your wisdom and your power and your glory, as we discussed last week, even mankind. And there's a sense, O Father, in which we ought to look in the mirror and say, what a wonderful being that is. Because we ourselves, in the essence of who we are, are a testament to your wisdom and your eternal power. Every single individual ever created is a testament to your wisdom and your eternal power. Father, now, as much as ever, we must hold up this banner. And we ask of you, Father, as we study this, this very precious topic, that you would strengthen us and that you would enable us to grow deeper in our understanding of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When, um, I think right after I, when I was converted in college and right after we, uh, I started attending the local Baptist church there, we had a a creation seminar and it was, it was fantastic. And it was hosted by a man named Kent Hovind, who has since been in prison for tax evasion, but it was great. It was fantastic. It was wonderful to be reminded of the truths of God's creation. And these are fundamental. These are foundational truths. These are ones that, that when we think about the attack of the enemy, this is ground zero, as it were. Everything that we debate today, if you think about it, could be brought back to Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. In fact, I taught I taught a worldview class for some local for, for some local homeschoolers and we we thought a lot about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. These passages, these chapters are foundational to not just the Christian worldview, and I, I, I don't just understand it that way, they are, but these passages are foundational to a flourishing culture. You will have no flourishing culture, no flourishing world where Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 are denied. It's not possible. An atheist will never build a lasting culture. He won't do it. He cannot do it. It is not possible. These are the foundations of civilization. This is the great theological battle of our day. The definition of humanity. What is a human being? Matt Walsh, uh, who publishes for the Daily Wire, recently published a, a documentary called What is a Woman? As you can imagine, university professors unwilling, not unable, unwilling to give a definition to that and answer that question. Today we're thinking about an even deeper question. What is a human being? What is a human being? For centuries, personhood has been redefined. This is not a novel or a new thing. This has been going on for centuries now. It has been defiled by wicked men As they have reshaped our thinking About what makes a human being We live in a time where humans Listen, certain humans are not entitled To the rights that other human beings are You think about You could go back into the era of chattel slavery This was the issue Certain humans are not entitled To the rights that other humans are Well, that goes on in our day In a time when otherwise reasonable people, uh, we live in a time when otherwise reasonable people equate animals with people, and they're sincere about it. There's debate and litigation over whether animals should have equal rights with humans. These perversions are a deviation from God's Word. And to deviate, this this is where this, this is why it is so important for Christians to hold the line, because to deviate from God's word destroys creation. Listen, men cannot live happily in this world and deny these truths. It cannot happen. This is the foundation upon which humankind must live. So Westminster Confession of Faith chapter four has two paragraphs, two paragraphs. One, the creation of all things, and the second paragraph, the creation of mankind. We get our own paragraph. And the second paragraph reads this way. After God had made everything else, he created mankind. He made them male and female with rational and immortal souls, endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image. They had the law of God written in their hearts and had power to fulfill it. They were, however, under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. In addition to this law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as they obeyed this command, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Obviously, as we discussed last week, the writers of the Westminster Confession at that moment, in in the 1630s and 40s, did not fathom someone coming along and suggesting that man simply appeared as the result of natural processes occurring over time. They They didn't conceive of that. They didn't conceive. They didn't conceive of a man claiming that he is a woman. None of this was conceived of in that time. And yet, notice that as we come back to the very simple principles laid down in Westminster Confession 4.2 these things are, 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 are taken head on and so we'll look at this in three simple points God created people secondly God created personhood and then thirdly and finally God conditioned a probation God conditioned a probation Notice first of all that God created people after God had made everything else He created mankind after God had created all the other creatures now, so the creation of man was sort of a, a culminating act of the creation week. I would suggest to you it 's not the 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 ultimate act of the creation week, because I think we find that in the creation of the Sabbath day, as it were. But his final act of of, of let it come to pass was the creation of mankind. We read this in Genesis one twenty six. Then Then God said, after he had laid everything out, uh, the heavens had been separated, dry land had been separated from uh, from the seas, Um, uh, uh, the insects had been given their domain, the birds had been given their domain, the animals had been given their domain, finally God created mankind. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that order. All that God does is with purpose. This is the final creative act, not the end of the week, But what the confession reminds us of, and this is very important, that man was created immediately by God. He was created immediately by God, not as the result of a lengthy process of evolution. Humanity springs from God. He is our immediate authority. He is our source of life. And this is the foundational truth that a lasting culture is built upon to deny that man is dependent and assert that he is independent listen is to embrace is to embrace final destruction only christians can build a lasting culture because they fully embrace the truths upon which Culture is built. And that truth begins with acknowledging that you are not autonomous. We like to think of ourselves as autonomous un- human beings. We, this is why we rebel against authority. It is, it is in our fallen, sinful nature to rebel against all kinds of authority, especially God's authority. And we do that by denying the creative act. In, in, in other words, we are enabled to establish this idea that I am a law unto myself. I create my own reality. What I say is right is right. But you will never be a law unto yourself. And you will never know peace until you learn to live under God's dominion. to embrace His forgiveness through Jesus Christ and submit yourself to His lawful authority over you. This is where men find everlasting joy. This is why the church of Jesus Christ is so important to the culture, do you see? The culture is crumbling around us because it is um, jettisoning these truths and the church is doing the same. The church is following suit the church is following suit. You can see it all over your social media. Men confessing, confessing uh, the rainbow creed. Why is this? They are embracing autonomy. And as if you and I embrace the world's view of humanity, of man's origins, then the culture has no hope. Recently I've been writing... Um, about um, summarizing some of the things, not all of the things, but some of the things that Elton Trueblood wrote because um, he, he wrote right after World War II for the first, the first edition of his book, um, The Foundations of Reconstruction. And in that moment, he is thinking, how do we rebuild from World War from decimated economies, decimated cultures. And do you know what he said? We build on the fundamental principles of God's law. We build, and that means understanding that God created us and that we are subject to him alone. God created people. Secondly, God created personhood. How important is this question today? What is a human being? What is he? What are you? What distinguishes a human being from a, a leaf or a puppy dog? Is, do, do you, does your life mean anything? Is it the same to, to slaughter a cow and divide up its parts into meat and to slaughter a human being and divide up its parts into meat. Are those distinct? We live in a culture that cannot answer that question. But the scriptures do. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Let me just begin by saying this. I want to divide what the the way that the, the catechism puts this, I'll give you just a few a few S's, I think these work. God, God made men sexual, spiritual, sentient, and subordinate. Did you get this? This is what makes a man. He is sexual, he is spiritual, he is sentient, and he is subordinate. This is how we define what personhood is. And the first thing that the scriptures show us is that God made man Sexual. Just go back to uh, Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-seven. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him, male and female. He created them. This is and this is where our confession begins. Male and female. And why might why might it be important biblically? For the writers of the confession to begin there, he made them male and female and descend from there and say, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Why might that be important? Well, it's important for this reason that when we begin to discuss the attributes of humanity, they apply equally to men and women. Now, obviously, God created different domains for men and women, but in the essence of your being, men and women have equality. Both are made in the image of God. And this, listen, this is an assurance that only the church of Jesus Christ can give. It doesn't come from Title IX. Man is a sexual being. God created man and woman. Why would he do that? Why did he do that? Why did God create man a sexual being with a male gender and a female gender? Why would he do that? He endowed each of these sexes with similar, similar characteristics and distinct characteristics. But primarily, his purpose was for man, here it is, to make other image bearers. This was his will for mankind. To make other image bearers through procreation. And in this way, what would happen? God's earth would be filled with image bearers. In other words, all of the men on God's creation would reflect back God's glory to him. This was his intent. Have children multiply, be fruitful. And so as we think about bearing children then, it comes under this heading. Why do we do that? Why is that such an important thing for the church of Christ? Well, because it's an aspect of the cultural mandate. Image bearers fill God's creation and reflect His glory back to Him. Man is a sexual being. And that sexuality comes from God Secondly, man is spiritual. How important is this? You are not merely a clump of cells. God has created you with a richness and a distinction from all of His creation. He has given you, He has endowed you with an ability for worship that He hasn't given to all of His creation. You, you don't take your goldfish to the Grand Canyon and say, Guppy, take it in. And He gives you the fins up. God's created you differently. You're a complex being You're not simple. And you're a two part being. You are a body that is physical processes, and you are a soul. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We see similarities between the way that God created animals and the way that God created men, and there are distinctions. Genesis 2 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Notice that there's a similarity between the way that God created animals and the way that he creates men. Both come from the dust. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created, uh, he called forth the beasts uh, from the from the soil. He called them forth, and they did. They came forth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. Animals are made from the dust. Uh, Man is made from the dust. There's a similarity. Why do you think we find similarities? Why does a banana and a man share similar DNA patterns? Why is that? Both come forth from the dust. But there's also a very important distinction. God did not breathe into a giraffe and the, the, uh, his breath and make him a living being. He did that for Adam. Now, God doesn't have breath. He doesn't jump off the diving board and go to the bottom of the pool and, and hold his breath. God does not have breath. So this passage is a description for you and me that we can understand that God made man in a distinct way. He breathed into him, as it were, in an intimate way, and he made him live. He didn't call forth men at one time. And think about this. He created angels all at once. He created them all at once. Every angel came into being just like that. All these animals came into being just like that. But... God destined humanity for something distinct and He breathed into Him. He created them one and then another and they would procreate and fill the earth in an intimate relation with God. And those aspects of humanity that we distinguish from other creatures, think about this now. The things that we talk about with reference to humanity that make us distinct from animals are aspects of the soul of man. God did not create animals with souls. Now, does that mean they won't be in heaven? I, I don't know. I tend to think maybe they will be. But this is a reason that we caution against assigning blame for man's behaviors to the brain or some other aspect of his physical being. Certainly that plays a part. But you understand that all of these things that make you a human being reside in your spirituality, They're an aspect of your soul. And let's continue on. That soul is both rational and it is immortal. It is the thinking, feeling, emotional part of human beings. So that, this is why this is so important as well. When you die and your soul separates from your body and your soul goes into the presence of the living God, will that be a place where you are totally benign? You are without enjoyment. You are without rational thinking. You are just there as a floating sphere with nothing. No. The souls of departed men are around the throne of God, enjoying His presence, loving Him, affectionately singing His praises. That part of you resides in the soul. The part that loves and enjoys, that is angry, that is worrisome at times is an aspect of your spirituality. Now, our dogs get very anxious when it thunders and lightnings, but they don't know why. And this is why God can command you to feel certain things. Do you know that in the Old Covenant, if you read closely, do you know it was a sin to be sad on the Sabbath day? And God can command you in James chapter 1 to be anxious, or not James chapter 1, but uh, be anxious for nothing. He can command you to count it all joy. Why? Because these are spiritual activities. Not just synapses of a clump of cells. And your soul is immortal. Every man must take this into account. Every soul, wicked and righteous, will return to God. This is Ecclesiastes 12.7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. This is why Jesus in Luke twenty three forty three could say to the man on the cross, and he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. In what form? Spiritually. The soul is immortal. We are sexual, we are spiritual, and we are sentient. What does that mean? Well, it's the best word I could come up with for emotional affection. You, you have feelings. You sense things. The, the, the confession would remind us that we are endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness in the garden. Endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. In the moment that God created Adam, he invested him with a certain amount of perfect knowledge. And he was able to know God and communicate with God he was righteous, meaning that when God created him, he was in total conformity to God's law. And he was holy. He wanted to do God's will. We are made in the image of God. This means that men and women are moral beings. Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man, as God's image bearer, was to represent God and His authority to all creation. This is one of the reasons that is suggested for Satan's fall. He saw, Lucifer did, in the creation of the angels, he saw that God had invested mankind with such power, such authority, that He has dominion over the creation, and in a jealous rage, led a rebellion and was ultimately cast out of heaven and thrown down to the earth. We are sentient beings. This truth is so important. we are losing it, even in the church. But this is so important. God can command you to love Him with your whole being because He created your whole being. God can command you to love Him with your mind because He gave you a mind. I was talking with my daughter on the phone this afternoon and we were thinking about um, she's struggling with music theory and it's one of those subjects you think well, who cares about what the time signature is on a staff. But even, even music theory, consider this, even music theory is a subject created by God. You understand that. Um, instruments sound beautiful because God created the laws of music just as He created the laws of gravity and the laws of thermodynamics. This is... This is a subject created by God. And He's given you and me as His image bearers a mind with the ability to take these things in. And the purpose, the reason for us taking them in and learning from them is so that we, our doxology grows. The the breadth of the things that we praise God for, it grows as we learn these things. God, you, you and I must think about Him and we think like Him because He gave us minds. He's given you the ability to love. You don't have the ability to love apart from God. You don't have the ability to know things. You don't have the ability to think a rational thought, whatever that is, apart from God. In recent history, men have attempted to reduce humanity. One author defines humanity as the ability to value one's own life. Work that out. A human being is an individual who can value his own life. Does that mean that some men are not human? If you're in a coma... Are you human? If you're in utero, are you human? Not according to that definition. This is why Colorado's abortion law can read this way. A fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus does not have independent or derivative rights under the laws of the state. This is chattel slavery. We can do to you what we want. You are a possession. You are a possession of the state. In Christian theology, in reality, personhood is dependent upon God. A person is a person because God made him so. This is why you can establish equal rights. Because every single human being has a responsibility to carry out the creation mandate, doesn't he? And how dare you stop him from doing it? How dare you prevent him from having a family however large he wants to have Or buying land, building property, turning it into the glory of God. This is his responsibility from God. This is where rights come from. You abandon Christian theology, you abandon any philosophical basis for human rights whatsoever. It informs our understanding of the redemptive work of sanctification, Colossians 3.10 and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in what? In knowledge. Well, what knowledge? In the knowledge that Adam had in the garden. After the image of its creator. We are sexual, we are spiritual, we are sentient, and we are subordinate. Romans 2, just verses 14 and 15. I'll ask you to turn over there just very quickly here. Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. Very important truth. Every man has the law of God written on his heart. This is Romans two fourteen. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. This is an attribute of humanity, that the law is written upon the heart. Why, if it's written upon the heart, did God write it upon tablets of stone? Because the heart is fallen. And he reminds them that even though your heart doesn't always conceive of the right thing to do, here it is on stone. You must do it. You're subordinate. Every man is subordinate. The king is subordinate. He is accountable to the law of God. Every president is accountable to the law of God. He must do it. It is his responsibility to honor God in the laws that he passes. He's not above God. He's not autonomous. And in the law, in the garden, the law was written on the hearts and God had given men the power to fulfill it. This is the biblical definition of humanity. A sexual, spiritual, sentient, and subordinate individual. You don't have to have these things to be human. Because you are human, you participate in every one of these attributes. Now, lastly here, we're nearly out of time, but just notice that God conditioned a probation. Um, Adam had all of these perfect attributes. He, he had it. Um, he, 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 was, he was living the dream. And God created Adam in such a way that his, his morality was subject to change. He, he left Adam and Eve to the freedom of their own wills with the possibility of transgressing the law. And so He gave them these commands. Be fruitful and multiply. Observe the Sabbath day. All the law was there. It was written on the heart. The Ten Commandments were there. Even before they were in stone, they were on Adam's heart. He knew right from wrong. He was righteous. He knew to obey the law. But God gave him one probationary test. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Obedience to that command would lead Adam to happy communion and a blessed dominion. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Cultivate my earth and cause it to redound to my glory. This was Adam's command. And he had to pass one test. Don't eat of the tree. And God made him in such a way that he was subject to change. And we will learn that he did, he did change. People and personhood are special aspects of God's creation, and they are aspects of God's creation. Of that creation, mankind alone is able to observe all that God made and give Him glory for it. And this is His intent. It is His intent that you should become farmers and businessmen and husbands and wives and grandparents that you should become musicians, that you should become architects, and I'm, you know, one of the jealousies I think we have of men like Methuselah is he could, become a, he could become a musician, and an architect, and an engineer, and a mathematician, and he could master all of those subjects. And, and, and in all the things that he's studying, he's studying God's creation, and he is worshiping him for it. And this is what you should do. God has made you a human being. He didn't make you a goldfish for a reason. He made you a human being to study his creation, to study his word, both books, remember, to study both books and sing his praises from both of them. Let's pray. Lord and God, as we we think through these things, our minds are filled with a number of questions, and I think at least one of those questions should be, why would you create us at all? And it's important that we come to the final conclusion that you created us for your own glory. Kings and princes abide under this principle. Paupers abide under this principle. Homeless men are still men because they are created in the image of God. They descend from Adam. Children in in the womb or out of the womb, they are human beings. They are endowed with all of these features because they are created by you. Father, we pray and ask that you would help us to go on fulfilling the creation mandate to fill the earth and to subdue it unto your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.